you whack people and you off people, but whacking people off is a completely different thing. Hey guys, I'm Milan. And I'm David. Welcome to I Finally Watched, where we talk about movies that at least one of us has never seen before. And on this episode, we're going to talk about a movie neither of us have seen. We finally watched Goodfellas. So, Alan, I don't know how we can have a movie podcast never having seen this movie. And I think kind of the impetus for us to watch this movie and to talk about it is to kind of rectify the fact that we haven't seen such a classic. You know, I was actually surprised this movie was uh, made in 1990 for like what a staple in film history it is. You know, it's not, it's a 30 year old movie. And uh, from its, I guess, reputation, it feels like as old as Taxi Driver or Godfather or, you know, one of those movies. Watching this movie, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of gangster movies per se. Like, I don't have anything, like, I don't have a problem with them. I just don't seek out to watch them. And that's why I have never seen this movie. I understand why this is such a classic. It is an incredible uh, movie. No, oh, yeah, absolutely agree. Um, this is one I've been excited to watch for a while now. I was listening to a, a different podcast and uh, a couple of the people on there were, one of the guys said that uh, he likes this movie better than Godfather. And he was like, you know, it's probably an unpopular opinion. And the other guy was like, no, me too. And so after watching it, I don't know that I can, that I agree with that. I mean, I watched it a day ago, so it would obviously take time for me to, to think about it. But I can see the argument at least. And for having seen this so recently, the fact that it's good enough to where I can not think that's laughable uh, says something in and of itself. Um, the well, I'd, be just... more than, I'd be more than glad to join you on your opinion um, once I have watched Godfather, but I have not. Get out. I know, I know. But I think that falls into like gangster movie, you know, like I, like I just mentioned, I don't really seek out to watch those, um, that genre of, of film. But no, it's, it's a shame too, because as I see now, it's, it's like such a, not only a popular um, genre in film, but there's so many incredible movies uh, made in that genre. So yeah, I know I'm missing out. Yeah. And I think not to spoil the entire genre for you, um, but they all, it, it's interesting because you haven't watched them, you, you wouldn't, maybe you wouldn't know this, but a lot of them, and this one was no exception. It, it, it's ending was a little different, but a lot of them kind of just are like, you could describe them as a mountain. I mean, a lot of movies kind of, they have that flow of, you know, building up, building up tension and, um, and then kind of the, the climax and then going down. But in the, in the life of a gangster film, you know, you see the rise of these guys, the good times that continue to get better and better and better. And then the fall, and they all sort of fall, follow that, that kind of, you can call it a trope, but I mean, it's just how life goes for, for this type of, of, uh, of individuals. So it's um, but was interesting about this one is is the endings a, a little different than I would have expected, um, and kind of I wouldn't say makes you think, but it's kind of an interesting an interesting way it ended, um, and just so well done overall. 
So basically what you're telling me is all gangster movies are the same and I've already watched the best one. So there's no point in, in watching anymore. Well, I mean, no, <laughs> no, I would check out the Godfather. I don't know. There's a hot take, but it's, it's a pretty good movie. And then the second one, you know, pretty decent too. So. I hear the first one is really good. The second one's pretty good. And the third one's like trash. A lot of people think the second one is better than the first. Um, so, yeah. And then there's also apparently a version of it that was on like TV forever ago and you could get on VHS. I don't know if it's available anywhere else where they, uh, Godfather 2 takes place a lot in the past. And so there was a version that combines the two movies and kind of does it chronologically, which I heard is pretty interesting to watch. The third one, it's got a weird sort of incestual plot line um, mm -hmm. with some cousins uh, mm -hmm. that is maybe a little off-putting. Overall, you know, it's, it's, it's nowhere near one and two, obviously. Um, well, you're going to watch them at some point. Yeah, I know. I know. No, I've I've heard uh, kind of different opinions on the third one. I hear some people say, "Oh, it's it's you know a garbage monster," and then some people I've heard say it's actually like it's a pretty decent film. So, so what uh what did you pull away? Kind of what was your first impression after watching this movie? What's the the biggest takeaway you had? Well, you know, um, I didn't have any uh, I didn't have any expectations uh, going in. I was just kind of like, okay, this is a gangster film, smart and Scorsese let's go and i kind of just let it take me for the ride that it was um you know kind of just sat back and enjoyed i really liked in the beginning uh i guess you would call it like a flashback where it shows uh henry hill our main character um as a little kid kind of growing up getting in with the um what would you call them gangsters uh, gangsters the, the family the family yeah good good uh, fellas i really liked that part of it uh, i think the kid was really charismatic i liked his his um expressions and his acting and you know he didn't give too much um away but still projected a lot of um emotion so i i, I like that part about it uh and then and then, you know, jumps to, I guess, present time, kind of. Not really, because we haven't quite gotten to the opening where the guy's in the trunk in the, in the very beginning. Um, yeah, I mean, this movie, uh, not to interrupt too much, but this movie spans from all the way from 55 to the early 80s. So, yeah, uh, it, you know, it, I can't. Yeah, I, I use present day loosely, but I, I guess what I'm trying to say is now, now you know, after going through adult Henry Ray Liotta. <laughs> yeah, now we're at adult Ray Liotta, uh, who plays Henry Hill, and uh, man, what what is he supposed to be like in the beginning of this film? He's supposed to he's supposed to be like 21. Um, I think at the in the flashback, um, Robert De Niro is supposed to be like 28, but they. <laughs> uh they're much older i i understand why he he did it because you know like you said it spans from the 50s to the 80s so by the time you get to the 80s all you got to do is put a little gray in uh robert de niro's hair and uh you know he looks what he needs to look like um, i actually sorry go ahead 
No, go ahead. What I was going to say is I actually thought De Niro didn't jump off it, uh, to me as like too old. Ray Liotta didn't either. I think he was probably, I mean, he was 10 to 15 years older than you would, he should be. Although, well, so he was 16 and 55 and then eight years passed. So yeah, he's about 24. And so he was actually like 35 when they filmed it. But Joe Pesci, <laughs> when they showed him from the kid in 1955 to the <laughs> adult in 1963, like the age difference between those two actors, like and they, they made Joe Pesci's hair like all kind of messy looking for that one scene that took place then. It was just mm -hmm. like, it didn't take me out of it, but it was, it was kind of a, a non-intentional, an unintentional funny moment for me. Yeah, I mean... It, apart from like the whole, the whole age being wrong and weird thing, I couldn't imagine anyone else other than Joe Pesci in the role that he was in. I couldn't imagine anyone and uh, anyone else other than Robert De Niro, um, and of course Ray, Ray Liotta. They're, I guess they're like the staple of Martin Scorsese gangster movies, especially Robert De Niro. So it didn't bother me that much. They did a great job for what they. Um, Stay for what they have, but they what had, they had like, was, was great. That what they had was great. So, it, you know, um, what I what I thought was interesting is the setup of the movie. In that, Jimmy, played by Robert De Niro, seems like he and Pesci seem like the more interesting characters. Mm -hmm. And you could have done a movie from the vantage of De Niro, which is kind of more like what The Irishman was. Although in that. De Niro's not really the top guy, and he wasn't in this either. But I thought it was interesting and kind of a, a smart move. I mean, it was it was based on a book, but doing it from Henry Hill's point of view, where he's never he's never the guy, even amongst his few friends. You know, when they're having to dig holes to put in dead bodies, he's kind of freaked out by it. When they're having to to knock people off, it's not exactly something he says. It's just part of the business, but he doesn't handle it very well. Right. Um, Whereas De Niro is much more of a smooth operator, can get super violent and angry when necessary. Um, and Pesci's just a, a freaking wild card that is interesting the entire time. So the fact that they did it from kind of a, not a secondary character, he's the protagonist, but like the point of view of the, of the least interesting of the three. Well, I think they did it because he's probably the most likable um, not only that, I'm not saying he's very likable. No <laughs> one's really likable in this, but I would say that he was the one uh, with the most consciousness, the most morality about him, um, which I guess in turn makes him more likable. He was also the one where it's like, because he was kind of, I don't know, unfamiliar with whacking people off. Um, I'm sorry, that's not the right phrase. You. Yeah, you, whack, you whack people and you off people, but whacking people off is a completely different thing. I think you're thinking of getting people off, David. Absolutely not. Anywho, his uncomfortability. Uncomfortability? Now, now you have me second-guessing everything. Him being hesitant about killing people, unlike Jimmy, unlike Tommy, puts the audience in a perspective that I think you can most likely relate to. So I think that's why they did it for him. Now, I actually, I have a question for you because I, I never saw The Irishman comparatively 
because a lot of the same actors are in both. Can you talk a little bit about comparing them? Because what struck out to me is Robert De Niro's character calls himself the Irishman uh, a bunch of times. Uh, and so I'm trying to see if there's some sort of comparison. I think Goodfellas is a much more, um, not action-packed, but there's there's a lot more violence in it. The scenes are kind of more intense. The Irishman is kind of a slow burn. There's a lot of build-up and build-up and build-up to a uh, to to a climax that you know is coming because um, it's based on a true story and you kind of know the, the characters. I think the Goodfellas story is based on a true story as well. It's something that is lesser known to me. Um, they're just very, they're very different. Um, De Niro is playing, you know, a secondary fiddle guy. He's, he's probably more composed, less violent in, uh, in Irishman. Pesci's kind of a boss and he's definitely, he's a more composed figure. He's not really getting his hands dirty where in this he's, as I said, he's a wild card. Um, if you talk to him the wrong way, he'll just, he would shoot, shoot people, people that were, you know, in his group for no reason. So I would say this is definitely a more, more aggressive movie as far as the violence and, um, and the story. And I enjoyed this one more. The Irishman is something I'm going to have to go back to and watch. It was, it was hard to watch all at once because uh, our, our baby was quite young at the time, but hopefully now I can, can just do it in one sitting and maybe uh, appreciate it more than the first watch. With Goodfellas, I don't have a problem with violence. But I thought this this movie was extremely violent. Not not that you saw like a lot of blood and gore, but just on the amount of unnecessary killing. You know, uh, we talked about Joe Pesci's character, Tommy, a little bit, how he, you know, like you said, he's a wild card. He'll just freaking kill someone because he, you know, they were busting his balls a, a bit. And um, damn, you know, he was just like a really bad dude that I uh, I did not mind seeing. Uh, die. He wasn't a bad guy, but he's also the most entertaining part of the movie. Like that opening scene, the, oh, you think I'm funny scene? That was just yeah. great. That was awesome. I wanted to get to that before you tried to like just pepper it in. Uh, but that scene's great. It's it's obviously the scene everyone knows about uh, from this movie. You've seen it, you know, uh, Family Guy and other, other shows like that. Um, and then <laughs> the scene at the dinner table after they kill... Um, Bats, whatever his first name is. It's probably Tony. Billy, uh, Billy Bats. Billy Bats. That makes more sense. Billy Bats. After they kill him and they're going to go get a, a shovel at his mom's house and they go in and she happens to be awake so they have dinner. And just the scene where uh, he's, uh, he's talking to his mom. She's like, oh, what are you doing? He's like, oh, we hit a deer. And uh, oh, by the way, you know this knife? I need this knife. It's this huge, like, foot long knife. He's like, I'm going to borrow this, okay? All right, that's great. He was obviously the most entertaining part of the movie. It's part of the reason he won for best supporting actor so it's it's obviously a much different movie about him not a person you would want to hang around with in real life gangster or not obviously when you're in that line of work you take the people who have that personality and it accentuates it you know by a thousand but even if he wasn't a gangster not not someone I want to be around yeah I mean before watching this movie uh, I, I, of course, have seen that scene out of context. And without knowing who he was or who uh, Ray Liotta was uh, at the time, that scene, that uh, 
oh, I'm a, I'm a funny guy scene, it brings a lot of tension because uh, I think just the way he plays it and you just don't know if he's going to snap. And I, I think that's a great character introduction to who he is and who he plays throughout the whole movie um, because you, you don't know who, when he's going to snap and who he's going to snap at and how hard he will snap. And as far as kind of setting up characters, I think they did that to to all the all the characters as far as setting up who they are and the foreshadowing kind of telling them, um, telling us as the audience what is going to happen to them. An example for me is when Henry was a little kid. So we're still in the flashback. He gets pinched and he gets sent to court. Uh, I, I think it's implied that the the lawyer is working for the family, and then the judge is also like in cahoots with all of them. So you know Henry gets off on on you know no no charge nothing, and Jimmy is there to like greet him, and says, "Oh, you know you popped a cherry kick. Congratulations! I couldn't be prouder." And Henry is confused. He's like, what do you mean? I got, I got caught. I got arrested. Like, I thought you'd be mad. And he's like, no, you did two things, two really valuable uh, rules. One, you kept your mouth shut. And two, you didn't rat on your friends. And right then and there, you kind of know how this film is going to end. Yeah, I guess you could see that. I didn't even, yeah, I didn't catch that. That's it. That's interesting. Because that was, and we're just going to, We'll go back and forth, but we'll get into the ending a little bit now. So if you haven't seen it, um, one, what is wrong with you? And two, press pause. But the <laughs> ending... Judgy, pretty judgy for someone who just watched it like yesterday. Seriously, what's wrong with you? But the the ending of this, I thought he was going to... I thought he was going to die because, spoiler alert for the genre, but that is <laughs> how this ends for a lot of these people you know, because these are based on real life. And so that's right. how a lot of them go. It's obviously the true story, but it's, it's, I think it was great of Scorsese to choose one that's, you know, a lot of people don't like happy endings in movies. And this is sort of a happy ending, but at the same time, it's not really a happy ending for him because as it's he bittersweet. says, sweet. It's definitely bittersweet. He gets to live, but he says, you know, I hate this life. I loved being a gangster. And he wanted it when he was 16 and he wanted it when he was out. And that's kind of set out throughout the movie. Um, so that, that foreshadowing is very interesting. It's not something I caught. I, I you know, I couldn't do the gangster life. I, I feel like you're, you either, you know, you either die a gangster or you get caught by the cops. And I, I, I'm like, that's just too, you know, I, I feel like you have to look over your shoulder all the time. I just couldn't handle that kind of pressure. It's a very bold opinion that you don't think you could be a gangster. I'm glad you were able to <laughs> let everyone know about that. But I also, I want to go back real quick to, to the, um, the scene where Joe Pesci asked, you know, oh, you think I'm funny. Ray Liotta, and I'm willing to say this without having seen every movie, has one of the weirdest damn laughs I've ever seen in my life. Ah, man, if you weren't going to say it, I was, because it, it's, it's the worst. It's the worst laugh. I hate it. <laughs> I was like, is he, like, is his character fake laughing? It, or it's his almost... real, is his real world laugh that? Yeah. We'll have to, it, we'll have to study Ray Liotta to find out. Not to get too much into this, but it's almost animalistic. I feel like it's, it's kind of this raw energy 
that he gives off, um, but I hate it. So, and not to be too down on him because he he also has obviously because he's the main character, he's in this a lot. But two of my favorite scenes: one when he pistol whips that dude because he walks up to him yes. and the guy's like, "What the hell are you gonna do?" And he just probably broke his face. I would guess it's it's yes. weird because. The sound and the power behind it seemed like it should have murdered him. And he then just told him, you know, don't go near her again. But then also when right after he gets married to his wife, but they're still living at their uh, at her her parents' house. And he walks up to up to the door after they've been waiting for her and the mother-in-law starts yelling at him and he just smiles and walks away. Basically like, I don't take this shit from anyone. I'm not taking it from you. And then right after that, they get a place to live because he's like, that's enough. Yeah. You know, I, I want to talk about the wife because I think she's she's a really interesting character. Uh, I, you know how he keeps saying like Henry is probably the least interesting character? I, I would say the wife is one of the most interesting characters. I So what's interesting to me, and I, I have seen this done in a few movies, um, a few like modern day movies and not not a lot of movies um you know 20 30 40 years ago but you have this inner monologue of our main character henry throughout the film but about 30 minutes into the film the inner monologue switches and now you're hearing what the wife karen is thinking and it caught it it, it caught me off guard at first because i was like Oh, I did. I just did not see that coming. So now you're in her head, and you know she's kind of has an interesting thought process because she's kind of dragged on this double date, and then he stands her up, and they show like no interest in each other, and she gets kind of you know she gets left in the parking lot of some store by this this neighbor guy, so she calls Henry up, and. Uh, which provokes the scene you're talking about where he just pistol whips the guy in the face, breaking his, his freaking nose. And then he asks her to hide the gun. And then we go back into her inner monologue. And she's like, that's the sexiest thing I've ever been told to do. And then the next scene is them getting married. So at times throughout the movie, because he just gets deeper and deeper into it and you kind of feel bad for her, but I, I, you know, you always have to remember she kind of wanted this life. She kind of was attracted to this sort of thing. Yeah, what I found cool about that inner monologue part is up until that, I wouldn't have known just walking into this movie that she was going to be an important part of it at all. Mm-hmm. She's presented as this girl that he's not interested in at all. And then that happens and then she goes and confronts him and then from there on, you know, down the road to, to marriage and, and the life. Um, and I thought that was just so well done and so unexpected for me, at least, that, yeah, it, it really worked well. Um, and then he cheats on her. They all do. They all do. They all have girlfriends on the side. And, and you know, Karen isn't really uh, comfortable <laughs> with that. She, she, she confronts him about it and he just calls her crazy and, and blows her off until she pulls a gun in his face. What, what did you think about the girlfriend? The first one? She was kind of a nothing character 
think his second girlfriend was a little more interesting. The The most interesting scene with the first girlfriend is when Karen confronts her outside and she's screaming through the intercom, calling the uh, the super of the apartment, saying you have a whore living there and just telling her, stay away from my husband, get your own. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was almost just a plot device for the wife. Whereas well, I, thought, the- I thought it was it was a plot device more and so introducing the second girlfriend and kind of that it's kind of like um she was the start of his downfall i felt like the second girlfriend no 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 the first girlfriend because she introduced him to the second one um who kind of catapulted catapulted the whole cocaine drug dealing thing the first girlfriend you kind of saw cracks in their marriage from there. And and I felt like the more his marriage broke apart, the more he broke apart. Which is funny too, because at the end, they're, uh, they seem to be almost stronger than ever. You know, uh, he won't go into witness protection without her. There's that scene at the end where she had thrown away the drugs and he was like, oh, that was all we had. But then they kind of lay down together and they had a very destructive marriage throughout um her pulling a gun on him him being very verbally abusive and physically abusive and then there's this end where they they decide to stick together in witness protection and then you find out that they divorced pretty soon after (laughs) which is just it's like it gives you kind of not a happy ending but it gives you this oh you know things have have worked out a little bit but oh not really Uh, well you know i mean he was a type of guy to not really like be loyal to his wife and to have multiple girlfriends i wouldn't be surprised if he tried to have a have another affair in uh in witness protection and then she was like now that's it we're done right which i don't even know how divorce in witness protection actually works but government's probably pissed because well i don't know because as the as the the guy was saying, who was telling them about witness protection, like, we don't even care if you go. So I'm wondering, once she divorces them, is she out? Or does now the government have to pay for witness protection for two people in two different houses? So. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, what, what what I did like, and this is something Scorsese does well, is is the music he put in it. Um, I really enjoyed. He does the... Uh, the Rolling Stones song, which he's also did in The Departed, which I heard in The Departed first, so I love it there more, but I can see why that's a an unpopular opinion between people who, who watch more movies than we do. But then the scene where um, they're showing all the people that Jimmy has murdered, you know, you know, they're finding the bodies in the Cadillac and in the garbage truck mm-hmm. and in the uh, the meat truck. The, the music he plays is just this like instrumental, very happy kind of upbeat you know tune and then you're just finding all these dead bodies and it's such a juxtaposition but i think it works so well and it was really kind of an interesting choice that you know i'm not one to question i liked it so no i agree no i agree with you and i think it's so upbeat because at that point you know the the characters were kind of made to root for are winning and you know and henry even says that jimmy is is happy he's happy mostly because you know tommy was going to be a a made man after that and that was one of those things as as the story's developing um you find out that joe pesci's character tommy is going to become a made man 
Um, and they sort of explain that, well, Henry and Jimmy can't be made men because Jimmy's Irish and Henry's half Irish. And the whole time this was happening, I was like, this makes no sense. No one likes this guy outside of Jimmy and Henry. He's a wild card. He murders people. He's murdered, made people that you have to assume he's the one that did it. And so I'm just like, this makes no sense why you would make this guy. And then it hits him, you know, in the back of the head, literally with a bullet. And um, I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. The fact that he yeah. was, it was just all a ploy to kill him. Um, it was a setup, yeah. It was actually interesting, too. The guy that played Vinny, the old guy that was with Pesci, and then he was also in prison. He was the older guy that was the cook. That was actually Scorsese's dad. Oh. And then Joe Pesci's mom in the movie was Scorsese's mom. That's funny. So I was looking this up. He put them in a lot of movies. They actually, unfortunately, died. Uh, she died in 97, and his dad died in 93. So... I imagine they would have been put in a lot more things after that if they hadn't have passed. Um, it, was just, it was kind of a nice touch. She was an actress, so it wasn't like he was just, uh, you know, just giving away these parts. I, I think they were capable, and, you know, <laughs> she, was, she was great in the movie um, as this, like, older Italian mother who just wants the best for her son, even though he's a murderer and, like, oh, look he's at my the art. worst. Just the worst. No, I actually really like that scene where she was showing him the art and he was like, oh yeah, the dog, one dog's looking left and the other dog's looking right. And I, I was just a really cute scene. And it was in the middle of Billy Bat's murder. So I just thought um, that was really funny. What did you think about, I thought it was just hilarious that they had a dig. So they, they bury Billy Bats in like a, like, um, like a plot of land. And then six months later, it gets sold so that condos can build on it. And so Jimmy tells Henry, hey, we got to go dig up the body because it's going to be discovered. I just thought that was so funny. No, I, yeah, I agree. And it was also just the, the shot of it with all the red, uh, the red background and the, the way it looked. And it was also kind of purposeful, I think, to show it was kind of showing the cracks in Henry that we, you know, that we didn't really get to see all along that he wasn't as good at this life as everyone else you know he was kind of thrown up on the side and I think that plays out later too when um Jimmy tells Henry basically hey we're gonna whack uh Morty or Maury he's the guy that uh keeps he's the guy with wigs that keeps mm -hmm. asking for his money and um then at dinner when you know right before they're gonna kill him he uh he t uh, Jimmy tells Henry, like, oh, we're not going to do it anymore. Don't worry about it. And then he kills him anyway. He has Pesci do it, which is was kind of interesting to me. And it's it's kind of a uh, a foreshadowing of Jimmy not really sure if he can trust Henry anymore. And, you, yeah. you know, you kind of think that's probably built from the, the point where, hey, we need to uh, dig up this body and you don't seem to be a capable anymore. So it's kind of the, the slow build to Jimmy's not trusting Henry anymore. A hundred percent. No, a hundred percent. And, and uh, that just kind of tracks to the end. One thing that I really liked was how easy of a time they had in prison. Well, and Henry even says, you know, we're, we didn't really do prison. Other guys, they have to do prison, but that's not really what happened to us. Which, which is funny because he s explains to his wife early on when she's like, what if you go to prison? He's like, guys don't go to prison unless they want to. And it's like, well, that's why it doesn't make sense until you get to the end to the to the scene where you see them in prison it's like oh that's why they want to go to prison because they eat really well and they get away from their wives and they're not really doing prison so 
that that, that was a good payoff. Yeah, 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 yeah. One one scene that we really want to want to or need to talk about. Um, it's more. It's such. It's a, more than a scene, really. Is the the day the twenty four? It's not really twenty four hours, but it's the day in nineteen eighty where everything ends for Henry. Um, because oh, you have his, this uh, his paranoid day. Yeah, because you have this movie that spans decades. And then it all leads up to this one day where he's got to go pick up these, uh, go drop off these guns to Jimmy, but he knows Jimmy won't want them. Then go meet up with the dealers from Pittsburgh to get the drugs. Then he's got to cook dinner for his uh, brother who he picks up from the hospital who's a paraplegic. Um, and then he's got to be doing all these things with the sauce and the, and the veal and the cuts and the pasta. But all the to- yeah, but all the time these helicopters are like following him and he thinks he's crazy. He thinks he's, he doesn't think he's imagining it, but he just thinks like, am I nuts? Are these helicopters really following me? Uh, And they are, they just, you know, um, he keeps seeing them uh, on his drives to and from each place. Right. Yeah. It's, it's the most drug addled he's looked this entire time. His brother's doctor even gives him some value volume after evaluating him because he looks so horrible. And which plays into, you know, are these helicopters real that, that are following him or is it all imagined? You know, he's he's running this drug ring. He's getting very paranoid. And um, it's just this the way this whole day was structured and how everything leads up to it, I thought was just really a great scene and, and really well done. No, I, I agree. You know, this is like the bottom of the barrel for him. This is at him. You know, this is this is his downfall and the, the, he can't go any lower than this. And, you know, you find out that his whole, um, you know, all his phones are tapped. The FBI has been, you know, following him for, for weeks. And at the end of the day, you know, he gets everything done. He needs to get done. He, he cooks dinner for his brother. He gets the drugs uh, to, to the other side. He sells the guns. You know, he thinks, oh, man, I've, I've accomplished this. And then he's pulling out of the driveway to go to the airport. And that's when all the cops show up and arrest him it's also funny too because he was on the way to get that girl's hat like his drug runner and she's like it's it's my lucky hat i need it i won't go without it and then on the way to go get the lucky hat everything crumbles yeah it's just it's the unintended the the intentional comedy of like we just got to do this one last thing and everything will be right no i finally got in the way with this and then they're just raided and she's having to dump his wife's having to dump the cocaine into the bathroom and then to like to like even add salt on the wound once he gets out of out of prison um and because his wife dumped the cocaine he has no money so he has to go to like his his friends and ask for for money yeah and it was it was interesting because when i was i was re-watching it this morning he goes to paulie who's as far as we're concerned kind of the top guy presented in this movie and he asks him for money, and Paulie's like, "I told you not to deal with the drugs. You did it anyway, and so you're you're out." And he gives him thirty two hundred dollars, something like that. Mm-hmm. And then in the end of the movie, Paulie goes to jail because Henry, you know, he rats him out. And it's just like if you had just brought him back in, everything would have kept going. You would have gotten him a good <laughs> attorney. He would have gone I, to jail for a yeah. little bit. And uh, but no, you you kind of. You stuck to your principles, but you also, you know, I guess you never saw that this guy would be, would rat you out like that. And it obviously bit him in the ass. That's interesting because I, I never really thought of it that way. We talk about the, the plot and the characters and the acting um, a bunch, but I want to talk about just for a second, 
the technical work in the film, especially, I think it's one of the most famous shots. I would, I would say one of the most famous shots in, in cinema history, where it's at the very end and Jimmy and uh, Henry are at the diner. And it's this like profile shot of them both sitting uh, in front of this uh, diner window. And you see the background and the camera starts pulling back. And but the zoom goes in on the characters doing this like distortion of the background uh, called a dolly zoom. What it does is because it, it, it brings the background in closer without messing up what we see of the characters. And this is the part of the story where Jimmy is telling Henry, hey, I need you to do a job and go whack a guy down in, in Florida. And as he's explaining this to, to Henry, you know, the camera's doing its thing, the background closes in, you know, you're getting farther away from them, but you're getting closer at the same time. And it makes Jimmy, you know, it makes you feel he, uh, Henry is trapped. And then it clicks. Henry understands, you know, if he goes to Florida, there's no coming back. You know, this is, this is his execution. It does the same camera movement where the, where the dolly of the camera pushes um, away from them again, but this time without the camera distortion and you actually get farther away from the characters. So it's like his world is opening up because as soon as he realizes, oh, okay, yeah, I have to go down to Florida. He kind of gets out of the trap Jimmy is placing him in. He's like, yeah, I'll, I'll go down there. And then the very next scene, he's down by the FBI uh, trying to get into witness protection. And I just thought that one scene with those two camera movements was cinematic perfection, uh, like the pinnacle of filmmaking. I just, I really loved it. What, what did you uh, kind of take away from that? So you pointed this out to me and, and I rewatched it and yeah, it's, it's really well done because isn't it, it's, isn't it being dollied back as it's zooming in? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it's, it's actually, you can notice that it's happening, but it's really cool. It's not something I noticed at first, but it probably worked on me story-wise, you know, seeing it that way. But, but then at the end when it's opening up, I thought it was just, I thought it was one continuous shot and you, you would know this better than me, but what I thought was happening was it had dollied back, but zoomed in. And then when things were opening up, it just zoomed back out and the dolly didn't move that time. I mean, it it could have happened that way, honestly. I mean, because it would be it would be the same effect either way. But yeah, I exactly. I, yeah. But I did really love how, and you know, he had to have that line clear. So I I almost am thinking it's that way because if you think about it, he's he zoomed it back out, and then people start walking in front of the shot, like diner workers. So mm -hmm. there couldn't necessarily be a dolly there. But I did like how that that line was so clear. And then it's zooming back out into like the into the world. It's almost him coming out of the fog of that gangster world and realizing I have to get out of there. And like you said, <laughs> opening up and clearing out. What I also liked, because you pointed that out, I was I was noticing things a bit more. When Jimmy is waiting for the for the confirmation that uh, Tommy's become a made man, he goes into the phone booth and makes a call, and he finds out, and Vinny's on the other line, and he tells him like, "Oh no, he's he's gone." And it's being shot from pretty far out. And then it's just a dramatic, super quick zoom in. And it kind of, it matches the tension of like, oh my God, I just found out my friend, my business partner, this guy who was going to open up a, a whole much, a whole bigger world of crime for me 
has just been killed and all my plans are gone. Like that quick zoom in I thought was so, was so cool um, in that scene. And then it adds to the, you know, De Niro starts crying and he's really broken up about this. And um, that was something I noticed too, after you kind of pointed out the other scene. Yeah, no, I mean, the whole movie, I, I totally get why some people walk away from this movie um, now and back in 1990 and is like, this is my favorite movie. Because everything from camera work, acting, directing, it's just great. I mean, I think I know the answer. I think you have the same answers I do. Would you watch this again? And does the movie hold up? Uh, yes, it holds up. It's crazy to think that it's 30 years old. You're in 1990, it's so weird to think of that being that old growing up through that entire decade. But yeah, it, it was it was amazing to finally watch it. Um, it's 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 such a you know, it's a violent movie, but it's also such an easy watch. It's just so entertaining. And it's like, there's tension, but it's just, you know, usually when a movie gets really intense, I'll compare it to, I was watching um, Django Unchained uh, around, you know, yesterday and the day before too. And um, the tension in that movie, and I think the reason it's different is because in Django, there's good guys and bad guys, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you're really hoping that Django and um, Christoph Waltz uh, you know, succeed. Uh, but in this movie, I didn't give a shit who died or who lived. They're yeah. all bad people. So it's just kind of entertaining to see. Yeah, I loved it. And I could watch it anytime again. It was, it was great. I think it's kind of one of those stories that you can watch over and over again and still enjoy. My uh, view on, on gangster films uh, probably have changed because of this movie. I really, I really do like this film. Yeah, I think it's aged incredibly well. Well, everyone, this has been I Finally Watched Goodfellas, and today we both finally watched Goodfellas. I'm David. And I'm Milan. We'll see you next time. Bye, guys.